like, well, this is, this is good. But before I retire, what I'm going to talk about this morning is about what do you do in a crisis? Because um, a lot of our, our Christian walk and our Christian life is geared up to ordinary days. And that gives the enemy an ability to throw crises our way that if we don't know how to react to them, will seriously mess up our faith, seriously mess up our walk, and gives him the ability to mess up our lives. So we have to know what to do in crisis times, as well as everyday times or, or long-term times. So I'm talking this morning about what to do in a crisis, and I'll finish off next week on this. But I'm not going to tell you anything new. Hopefully, I'm not going to tell you anything new. The issue isn't what we know. The issue is whether we do anything with it. We all know more than enough to see the power of God and the miracles of God in our life. In fact, part of the problem is we all know too much. And that a lot of the stuff gets in the way of us seeing the miracles and the power of God in our life. So I'm not going to tell you anything I think you don't know. But what I'm going to do, and I really felt that God had put this on, on my heart, is we really need to do what we know to do. Because we don't. And particularly we don't when a crisis comes. And it's about this, that we have to choose to trust God. Trust is a choice. I don't know whether you've ever thought of it like that, but trust is a choice we make. It's not something that happens automatically. It's a choice we make. And, and I know some of you are going, well, well I actually, I, I find it really hard to trust. And, you know, you don't know what, what's happened and why I, I find it so hard to trust. Well, whatever you're doing and however you're reacting to situations, you're actually trusting something. It might not be God and it might not be um, people around you, but you're trusting something. You're trusting your own ability to come through it. You're trusting the government to bail you out. You're trusting your boss to sort out your job situation. You're trusting uh, other people, other things. You're trusting your bank balance. And God doesn't gear us to trust anything or anyone more than we trust him. It's not wrong to trust other people. And, it's <laughs> and it can be really frustrating when people let you down when you trust them. And it can be really painful and hurtful. And, but at the same time, it's not wrong to trust people. But when we trust other things more than God, it gets us in problems when crises hit. And it lays us open to the enemy being able to steal, kill and destroy in our lives. And we don't want that, do we? And, you know, I think I, right at the beginning of this series, I said one of the reactions we do when we, we have a problem or we have a crisis is this. We, we go and we get on the phone and we ring our friends, we ring our, our relations, we ring mum, we ring dad, we ring the kids, and we go, nah, 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 and, and, and you know what's happened, and it's this and that, and they go, oh, that's awful, do you know what happened to me, and this, this person did this to me, and oh, nah, 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 nah. and we go to the phone when what we should be doing is going to the throne. 
There's no help on the phone unless the person went to the throne first. Who are you talking to? You've got to understand that. We can't run on human wisdom because we are not ordinary humans. We are new creations. You know, Paul um, told one group of believers off for acting like mere men. As a church, as, as a body, the body of Christ in the UK and the body of Christ in this church and each one of us needs to stop acting like mere men because we are not mere men. We have the power of God within us. We are adopted children of a loving God who is a good God. And we have to start trusting him instead of other things. And, and we've got ourselves in real messes in the church by trusting everything apart from God. And only when it gets so desperate and goes all so wrong do we actually involve him in the equation. When the really good, sensible thing to do would be to involve him at the front end instead of leaving it when you've made an even bigger mess of it at the back end, or it's too late. And the trouble with the crisis is it can be too late. You don't have the time. So you've got to go to the throne. You've got to trust God. And, you know, I, I understand, you know, that, that life isn't easy. And, you know, however good we've got life, we can always find things that are wrong with our lives. You know, life can be actually quite painful sometimes. People can let you down. People can... Well, they can just be mess your lives up. Things can go wrong. Things can not turn out the way you expected them to. And, and you can accumulate all this, all this hurt and disappointment and disillusionment in your soul. And that's what can come out when we're in a crisis if we allow it to communicate. And, uh, sorry, to accumulate. And God has medicine for our soul. So what I'm going to do is this morning is I'm going to be a bit like a doctor. Well, I'm not going to do the doctoring, but I'm going to tell you what a good doctor would do. And, and we're going to take some medicine for our souls that's going to help us for crises. You see, here's a, here's a truth. And, and if I put this on Facebook, I'd get like 70 likes. And, and that's the way it is, because you all know it's true. But the question is, we have to do it and live it. And the truth is this, it's not what happens to us that determines the quality of our life. It's how we respond to what happens to us that determines the quality of our life. See, that's a, that's a lovely sort of thing you can put on Facebook. But if it just stays on Facebook, it's rubbish. Because... The point is that we have to start responding in the right way and that will determine the quality of our life. You know, some people have the most horrendous things happen to them and they're content and, and, and enjoy life. And in some ways, it, you, you look at them and you go, how can you react like you did? Because if that had happened to me, that would have wiped me out for decades. And they go, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm going to heaven. It's all right. And... It's how we respond to things that determines the quality of our life. You see, the same thing can happen to one person in this room and another person in this room, and the difference in response will determine what their life eventually becomes. Do you, do you understand this? You're getting this. Is this helpful? Okay, so 
Let, let's take some medicine. So I've got, I've got these carefully designed medicine bottles. Okay? So my first bit of medicine is this, because what I'm trying to do is identify some enemy tactics for taking us out. And the first medicine is this, is when I sin, I'm no good to God. That's the problem, that when we sin, when we mess up in our lives, when we do stupid things, when we do stuff that we know that's wrong, one of the things is we, we as Christians, we've been kind of conditioned by church life to shrink into this sort of world of condemnation and guilt and I'm a failure, what a rubbish Christian I am. Well, let's get straight with you. You sinned. You did wrong. But the answer to that isn't guilt and condemnation. The answer to that is to take some good medicine from God. The answer to that is to take some medicine. And here's the, here's the med, medicine I recommend to you. Instead of running from God, you take some no condemnation medicine. You take some God forgives me medicine. As far as the east is from the west, medicine. I remember their sins no more, medicine. Because the enemy can use what you've done wrong to freeze you up for years and years and years. And you're no good to God in that condition. That's why he died for you in the first place, so you don't have to live in that condition. Here's some more medicine. This, this is medicine for when you feel a failure. When life's just not gone like you expected it to. When people look at you, you know, like church people come along and they go like, and, and your own head comes along and you say, I just, what a mess I am. What a mess I am. No, you're not. Here's your medicine. You are the righteousness of Christ. You look like Christ on the inside. You, are, you carry the spirit of Christ in you. So you take some, I am the righteousness of Christ medicine. Here's, here's how this works. So you see, this is the exciting bit. I've discovered that, you can learn from your mistake and move forward. And I don't need that religion that trains me that I'm a victim of my mistakes and I can never walk away from them. You see, we can so become so sin-conscious that we become no good to God-conscious as well. And Jesus died so that we could be different and we could walk on from our sins. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't matter what it means is God has enabled you to go, leave them behind, move forward and change. And your life to be changed. Anyway, this is the exciting bit. This is, this is what I, I realised eventually when I was doing these little medicine bottles that God does vitamin pills as well. <laughs> he doesn't just do the like, uh, like make you better pills. He does vitamin pills. And here's my vitamin pills. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, pill. I am more than a conqueror in God, pill. You know, that's who I am. It's what I am. It peps me up. It gets me going. So what I recommend to you is when you're like, that you take some pills and you take some medicine from God. Now, I'm doing this this way because... I think if I just told you some of the principles, you wouldn't apply them. So I want something visual so you can remember it by. That's why I'm doing it this way. Okay? Let me tell you the three things that will solve every single problem in your life. 
How, how would you like to know that? I, if I can like, tell you, I just have this urge to stand on the chair. I don't know, I haven't done this for ages. If I could tell you everything, that three principles that will turn around every situation in your life, how would you like to know them? Yeah? Are you excited about the three principles? Right, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you three principles that will turn around every situation in your life. I'm also going to tell you there'll be no good to you unless you do them. You have to take the medicine. You can't leave it in a medicine bottle on the shelf. You wouldn't, well, some of you would go to the doctors. Like me, I go to the doctors, get the pills and then never take them. But that's not the idea, is it? You go to the doctors to get the pills so you get better. You've got to take these pills. And here's the three pills. Trust God. Do good. Help people. Any situation in your life, that will turn it around. You go, oh, how's that work then? I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you that from Scripture. Trust God. Do good. Help people. In whatever situation you're in, that's your response. Trust God. Do good. Help people. Right, I'm, I feel like I've, I've done my bit now. I, I can't guarantee I'm not going to do it. Turn with me to John chapter 16, verse 1. In, verses, in chapters 14 to 16 of John, Jesus basically sits down the, the disciples. He says, guys, there's a crisis coming and I want you to react the right way to this crisis. And this is the crisis. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be crucified. They're going to hang me up like a criminal and I'm going to be dead. And this is what Jesus says to them. Right? Why, why, why? So he basically gives them two chapters worth of advice. Sorry, I've lost my bookmark. Here we go. And the reason he does this is this, that he says, I've spoken these things to you so that you should not be offended. Or so my version says, so you won't stumble, so you won't fall over. So you're not going to be tripped up by this. You see... What Jesus is saying is there are bad things that happen to good people and there are bad things that happen to all people. But the real challenge is that you will, you will be hit by those, you will be knocked over by those if you become offended at God in the midst of them. So you've got to learn how to react right because as believers, God is our answer. So we trust God. Whatever is going on, we trust God. And we have to choose to do that. It's not going to happen automatically. It might, you know, most of us might, can drift along and, and we're, we're okay for a while. But then when a crisis comes, we find out really what's in us. And we find that trusting God drops off the shelf. We get on the phone and we have a moan. That rhymed as well. So there you go. I'm in the flow this morning. Because what Jesus wants is this. He wanted the disciples to continue operating in confidence in him and living in victory, doing the work of the kingdom when the crisis came. He didn't want them scattering. He didn't want them, like, disintegrating in front of him. So he tells them this. So now, I want you to go right back to the start of when he's talking about it. I'm not going to do all the chapters. In fact, I'm only going to do one verse from here. But chapter 14, verse 1. So this is the first thing that Jesus tells them 
into how they're going to deal with this crisis that's coming up. And he says this, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. When there's a crisis, that's what we're supposed to be. That's where we're meant to be at. Let not your heart be troubled. It might seem obvious, mightn't it? Like, in our, on our good days, we go, well, of course, you know, I've got confidence in God. I trust God. God's my saviour. God can do this. God can do anything. God's amazing. He's wonderful. In the crisis, let not your heart be troubled. It's absolutely crucial. Now, what I want you to see here, and, and, and why I think this is important, is that we know that Jesus said that, don't we? Because it's written there, it's written in our Bibles. We know that he comes around and says things like, fear not all the time, trust me, and all the rest of it. Here he's saying, let not your heart be troubled when the crisis hits. So we know it says that, but here's what we do. How can I put it? Crisis hits. That goes out of our head. We start operating in fear, panic, anxiety, worry, stress. That sounds a whole lot to me like I'm letting my heart be troubled when I'm operating in fear, panic, anxiety, and stress. So I'm not doing what Jesus said. Now, why that's really important is that the rest of Jesus' advice won't work for me if I don't do what he said. Now, here's what I want you to see. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. It's you that lets your heart not be troubled or makes your heart not be troubled. He's not, gonna, he's not doing it to you. You have to let your heart not be troubled. What Jesus is saying this is this. The very first thing to do, and he's telling them this because he loves them, and he doesn't want them to be knocked over by it. He wants to, them to know how much he loves them. The very first thing you've got to do, guys, this is Jesus talking, this is his, his advice, is... When a crisis comes, you have to grab hold of your emotions. You've got to grab hold of your emotions. You see, there's a truth in this. And the truth is this, that once you, we, we become, I guess, my, the word that God put on my heart about this is that we, we, it's really easy for us to be indulgent Christians. By that, I mean that we indulge fear. We indulge anxiety. We indulge worry. We, we let it grow and fester and we, and, we, and we roll it over inside it. We, we indulge it. And when we indulge fear, when we indulge anger, when we operate in panic, 
it becomes almost impossible to hear God. So Jesus is saying, you've got to grab hold of your emotions because otherwise you won't be able to hear how I'm going to bring you through this. And that's really important. Let not your heart be troubled. You know, um, one of the things is that the the enemy has all these plans. And his idea is to get our lives to go up and down, up and down, up and down and all over the place. And and I, you know, I I went to God and, and I said, like, God, why is it for me that I do go up and down like that? Why is it that, that that happens to me? Why is it that that happens? It seems to be the pattern. And, um, you know, in a lot of ways, <laughs> what I really sensed is that we, we justify a lot of things to ourselves we shouldn't be justifying. We justify the fact that we're angry. Because there's a reason why we're angry. We, we justify the fact that we're worried because there's a reason why we're worried. Like if anybody said to you, like, you shouldn't be worried. Well, I've got this reason to be worried. I've got that and, and you know, and this happened and that happened and that's why I'm worried. And, and we spend a lot of time justifying ourselves being in the condition that Jesus tells us that we've got to resist. And so God started to say, like, you know, these ups and downs... You've got to get past justifying why you're in that state and that place. But he said, let me tell you this, Mark. And this isn't an easy word. And I received it in a a not very easy way because I thought God was being a bit tough on me. But when I asked God about why I go get these up and downs in my life and, and, with, and I react like this with situations and I end up justifying why I feel in those situations, he said to me this, well, son, it's because my word's not really your standard. It's because my word's not really your standard. You're living to a different standard. I thought, that's pretty hard, God. <laughs> and then I thought, that's pretty true, God, as well. You see, God's asking us to raise our standard of living up to the standard of his word, not bring down his word to the standard of our living and try and justify why we're in the pit. And you know, one of the things that really gets me is that my reaction to that, well, God, you know, It's natural to feel like I do about all these things. It's natural to feel like that. And do you know what? It is. It's natural to feel like this about things. But I'm not natural. I'm not normal. If the enemy can get us to think that it's all down to what's natural, there is no room for the supernatural. There is no room for God. You know, if my excuse is it's natural for me to feel like this in this situation, yes it is. 
But I don't believe in a natural God. And I don't believe that we should be constrained to what is a natural outcome. Just because the doctor says something doesn't mean that that's the outcome. That's his opinion. I'd rather hear God's opinion. You know, just because your bank statement says one thing on one day, that does not mean it's the end of the story. What is not possible in the natural is where God takes over. You know, church, we have to stop just believing God for stuff we can solve ourselves anyway. We have to start believing him for stuff we can't solve and trusting him in the midst of it. You know, the antidote for fear is not indulging fear. The antidote for fear is faith, trusting God. And you see, Jesus is telling the disciples this, And while he's telling them this, he's already told them on multiple occasions he's going to die and he's going to rise again on the third day. The crisis hits, Jesus is hanging on a cross, the disciples who've been told over and over again, Scarpa. The world had more faith than the body of Christ at that point. The world had more faith than the disciples. How do I know that? Because the world had listened to Jesus and they put guards on a tomb so he couldn't rise again on the third day. They'd heard him, the disciples scarpered. Because they didn't let not their heart be troubled. The word of Jesus wasn't their standard. Go with me to Psalm 37. You know, when when you're in these sort of awful times, you've got a choice. You can get bitter or you can get better. And my advice to you is choose the get better. You know, if we're going to win victories consistently over the enemy, we're going to have to do a few of the things that Jesus told us to do. Like resist the enemy. Submit yourself to God, resist the enemy, he will flee from you. What it is in your life that's stealing from you, killing you, making you, destroying relationships, destroying your health, all the rest of it, it's the enemy. And to deal with the enemy, you have to resist the enemy. And we have to do that in some practical ways. And I I was kind of reminded of that this week. I was... um, how many of you have, uh, there's been a lot of people that I've heard in recent weeks, not, not, not just in this church, but everywhere, oh, that's going round. You know, the bad cough, the cold, the runny nose that takes weeks and, and all the rest of it, that's going round. And it is in the natural. It's going round. So, do you know what happened? On Wednesday morning, I, I got up and I, I woke up early. And the reason I woke up early is my, I couldn't breathe because my nose was blocked. And um, it, was, it was a really cold morning. And I thought, you know, and I, and I went out to, to sort of prepare this talk and get it, get it all, all ready. And I'm, I'm on my way to my, my office. 
called Costa Coffee. And, and I'm on my way there, and my nose is streaming, and I'm coughing away. <coughs> and I was just like, oh, this is awful. I'm going home, I'm going home. And God said to me, no, you've got to learn to resist. And this is something like, I, I, it's like really annoyed me. God ever says things to you and it really annoys you? It really annoyed me this because I thought I knew this one. Like years ago, I, years ago, I used to have real problems with hair fever and, and all the pollen would come and, and my eyes would puff up and the water. And I kind of got this idea about resisting the enemy. So things like um, pain in my leg or a cough or whatever, I could deal with. Like, I could stop myself coughing and, you know, every time I felt a cough coming, I'd resist it as long as I could. And and I never saw a real breakthrough, but I had a real problem with this hair fever thing because all it gave me was puffy eyes and I'm not sure how you resist puffy eyes. I mean, what do you do? Hit yourself in them. <laughs> get better, get better, get better. You can't do a lot with puffy eyes, can you? So I decided that as my eyes were puffy and streaming, that my way of resisting my puffy eyes caused by this hair fever thing, would be that I, when, when the, the things were streaming down and I couldn't see anything and there's like, you know, I, my eyes were in it, I wouldn't wipe them. I wouldn't, like, I w so I'm going, <laughs> no, don't wipe it, don't wipe it, don't wipe it. And, and I, I'm not trying to trivialise it, but we have to resist the enemy. And I did that, and I did that through a whole night and a whole morning, it was when we lived in Foxton, and my puffy eyes cleared at the end of it, and I've never had hair fever since. So we have, there's an element of resistance. So I'm going in, no streaming and all that sort of stuff. And, and I'm, I'm heading towards Costa, and God reminded me of the puffy eyes thing. So I'm going, right. And what I'm going to do, God, is I'm not going to sniff, and I'm not going to cough. And if, if I'm in Costa and my nose is running, they'll just have to look at me. <laughs> But right now, God, I'm going to take a deep breath of your lovely, polluted air from all this traffic. God, I love Cambridge traffic. Yes. And, and so I, I did that. And basically, I got all these petrol fumes. And I, and, I'm and I walked into Costa, and my nose had stopped running, and I'd stopped coughing. And it's not coming on me. And we need to start fighting because we indulge and we indulge at the start. And, you know, some of the times, and I'm not doing this, I'm not knocking this, it's because I've been indulging a bad back for a year now. So yesterday I was out leaf blowing, resisting the enemy. Okay, so I'm still in pain, but you can pray for me later. But I'm not trying to trivialize this. I'm trying to say we need to hit back. And the way we hit back is we trust God more than we trust ourselves. Psalm 37. Let, let, I'm going to sort of just look at this briefly. Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord, do good. I like that one. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will bring it to pass. 
I want to write a few prescriptions this morning, if that's okay. Here's my first prescription. My first prescription is a prescription for trust. There it is up there. There you are. There's my little prescription. So I want you to observe some things on this prescription for how you trust God. The first thing you do is you notice who's the doctor. It's Jesus. So he's done this. He's providing it. He's writing out your prescription for you. He's got the solution. Doctor's Jesus. The patient is who? Whosoever. Whosoever will take this. Whosoever will have this prescription. What's the, what's the dose? How many, how, many, how many doses of trust are you going to take? As many as times as you need it for as long as you need it until you see the victory. As many times as you need it for as long as you need it. And it, the things about these, these, these prescriptions that I'm telling you about is they've got side effects. But they're not like natural side effects that are all bad. These have good side effects. So if you, if you trust God, you're going to get some side effects like peace, joy. Uh, you're going to be stable and not all over the place. You're going to be more confident. You're going to see things turn around. See, when we take these prescriptions, it's got side effects. Here's another prescription. Prescription for do good. Here's my do good prescription. Now, it's just like the last one. The doctor's Jesus. It's written for whosoever will take it. And what do you do? How many times a day do you take it? And many times a day as you need it for as long as you need it until you see the situation change. This has got some side effects as well. Doing good's got some side effects. Happiness, fulfillment, purpose. A bit of do good is the best antidote to depression. Because when you do things for other people, you find that you have a purpose. You find that you can be fulfilled apart from yourself. And so doing good is powerful. What do you do in a crisis? You trust God. You grab hold of your emotions. You resist the enemy. You trust God. You do good. Now, now what, let's, let's see what happens when we do these things in the crisis or, or when everything seems to be against us or the, when the world seems to be against us and, and everything seems to be winning except us. What happens? Let's go back to verse 1. Do not fret. That's the same as do not let your heart be troubled, isn't it? Do not fret. Um, my old version that I've got on my desk says, fret not yourself. And I, and I felt that really told me off much better than do not fret. So fret not thyselves. <laughs> fret not thyselves. Don't fret. You see, it's really easy to fret about everything that's going on in the world today, isn't it? I, I don't know if, if this is just me, but I've become increasingly aware over the last two or three weeks really how bad the conditions in our society are getting, and particularly to be a Christian in that society. Um, there's just so much need, so much deception, so many people turning away from God en masse. Um, and you can, you can go like, well, what do I do about all this? And you can get overwhelmed. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't do anything. In fact, one of the things you should do is do good. Help people. Love people. 
show them who Christ is. One of the, you know, we watched uh, an interview that was on this morning programme this week, and it, it was somebody we actually knew who was involved in this interview. And to be fair, the presenter reacted not well to this person's Christian beliefs. But part of our trouble is that we can be our own worst enemy. We are really good at appearing extreme in terms of what we're against. And we lose the message of what we are for. You see, when Paul went into, uh, I'm not on my notes, so when Paul went into Ephesus and he's faced with the temple of Artemis that dominates uh, the whole city and every, everybody's absorbed, everybody's livelihood is absorbed in this, this, these rituals and, and all the sexual impurity and everything is anti-God. Paul did not go in and oppose what was there. He went in and told them about Jesus. And by showing them Jesus' love, so many became saved that it changed the culture that they were in. And so we, we do have to act. We do have to not allow ourselves to be muzzled in our relationships. We can't ever get in a position where we are being man and not God, even if it costs us in our pay packet. But my, my point is this, that, that the most powerful thing we have is do good. Trust God, do good. Fret not thyselves. Because we, it's really easy to, to do the opposite of this. This is what David's saying. He says, don't be envious of the workers of iniquity. It's really easy to be envious of what seems to be working for other people and think, well, I'll just do a bit of that because that'll work for me. And it, it's so difficult sometimes for us as believers when we, we see somebody who is clearly anti-God, clearly uh, attacking and, uh, Christians, who appears to be doing really well, prospering and getting promoted. And that's really difficult, isn't it? What did David say? He didn't say, attack that person. What he said is, don't be envious of them. This isn't how we do things. This is not how, how we overcome. You see, there's somebody else involved in this equation apart from you and them, and he's called God. And this is what God says. Well, this is what David says. Don't be envious of the workers of iniquity. Even when they're doing great, even when they're prospering, even when they're getting promoted, even when they're on TV and you're not, even when they're gathering big crowds and nobody's listening to you, you're not envious of them. You're not trying to be like them. You don't have to be like them because this is what will happen. They will be soon be cut down like the grass and wither away. Now, that sounds good, doesn't it, from our perspective? But God being God doesn't allow us to enjoy that fact. We're not, that, we're not here to get excited about God cutting down people and then withering away like grass. We're here to be excited about the fact that Jesus saves and Jesus loves those very people we are wanting to see cut down. 
And God's saying to us, get your hearts right. Get our hearts right towards them. It's God's issue how he's going to sort this out. Don't step on God's ground. Do what I told you to do. Trust God. Do good. Help people. And what? God will give you the desires of your heart. What are the desires of your heart if you're trusting God, doing good, and helping people? The desires of your heart is that you do good to people and that they're blessed because of it. The desires of your heart is that you're closer to God and relying on him more and trusting him more. The desires of your heart is that you're helping people. And when we do that, if that's our, when that's our response, when we trust God, do good, help people, the situation will change because that's how we resist the enemy. We don't play on the enemy's ground. We already have the victory. We don't have to mess on his substandard ground. We don't have to play his games. His games ended 2,000 years ago. We don't have to listen to his voice. Let not our heart be troubled by him. We trust God. We do good and we help people. And we will find that our crisis will turn around. 